Are you cruising through life not always knowing what direction you were headed? Let Live On Purpose with Dr. Paul Jenkins be your guide. Live On Purpose will give you insights into your life and show you how you can become the driver and captain of it. No more aimless wandering. By learning the principles that govern happiness and wealth, you will be able to make personal progress that you have only dreamed possible. And now, here's your host, the shrink who expands your life, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life, bringing you another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. And I am thrilled today to have some fun things going on here in the studio and uh, a fantastic guest on the phone as well. And what I'd like to do is first introduce our guest, uh, who is Stephen M. R. Covey. And we have to throw the M in there, right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And that's because you have a father who is uh, fairly well known, Stephen R. Covey. And uh, Stephen is is an author. He's a trainer. He's a he's a highly sought after speaker. I could say that about either of these Stevens, I think. And yeah. uh, so you've got quite a legacy behind you. And I I certainly appreciate your joining me here at Live on Purpose Radio today. Thank you for being with us. Oh, Doctor Paul, I'm thrilled to be on the show. Looking forward to it. Well, we'll get into um, some of the specific reasons why why I thought it would be interesting to interview you today, but I also want to introduce two other guests who are here in studio with me today. We have Ken and Vicki, who have joined us, and, uh, well, say hello, folks. Hello, hello folks. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, Ken and Vicki are neighbors of yours. Is that right, Stephen? They're, they're neighbors and, and good friends, and, and I admire both of them greatly. Well, and Ken, Ken came to me a while back, uh, Ken, you came to me and said, hey, you know what? Uh, I've got a neighbor that I think you ought to interview, and you handed me a book. And the book is called The Speed of Trust. And uh, I have read this book, and I have very much enjoyed uh, the thoughts and philosophies that were in there. But Ken, you uh, have gotten to know Stephen in a little different way as a neighbor. Mm -hmm. And you still thought it was okay to bring him on the show. I still did. I liked Stephen very much. He Comes around and visits with us about uh, once a month, and we've just become, well, we've known each other uh, for about three and a half, four years now, I think. Have you? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he comes around, visits with both Vicky and I. And, mm-hmm. uh, I've just really appreciated his friendship, so I'm the other, oh, Christmas time, and everything was going very crazy, you know, and mm-hmm. we were trying to get last minute shopping done, and I know he had a son that was getting married in the Christmas break. Uh, mm-hmm. And just just to see Steve, you know, he saw me and the big smile on his face, and we chatted for a few minutes, and just an exceptional individual. And I like the things that you've got going on, Doctor Paul, and I just uh, really excited to get the two of you together uh, and share that. Well, and I wanted to comment about that whole process because there's a couple of things going on here. When when people exchange ideas and thoughts and their time time and talents with each other, some good things happen. And we all have connections and relationships that could benefit other people that we have connections and relationships with. And so that's a really great example. And the other thing that I wanted to point out 
is that when you see someone's name on the cover of a book, um, that doesn't mean they're they're not just a real live person. Mm-hmm. You want to comment about that, Vicky? Yeah, Stephen's a very nice man. We've really enjoyed the time that we spent with him and getting to know him. So we're we're vouching that you're actually a real life human being with thoughts and feelings and everything else. Isn't that awesome, Stephen? That is awesome, and and uh, um, I agree with what you've said, Doctor Paul, and and uh, uh, feel the same way about Ken and Vicky. So. Yeah, it's drilling. I'm gonna. Uh, looks like I've got my new publicist for the book. Ken and Vicky can can be that. And, and, uh, get <laughs> That's right. The book. We'd love to. Well, <laughs> and in fact, we're going to talk a little bit about that book today, Stephen. I I have. Well, Ken and Vicky can attest to this. I've got little tabs all the way through this book of different things that caught my attention. I'd like to uh, to maybe give you a few minutes to just tell us where this came from. What is this project for you that you've you've launched into the the speed of trust? Can you give us just a little bit of the background on that? Sure. Uh, it came to me over a period of time when when I first got into a leadership role in running an organization, Covey Leadership Center, the the company that my father founded. When I first got in as the CEO, I began to notice the different relationships that we had, starting with our vendors, with our suppliers, and how we had some relationships that had high trust in them. Mm-hmm. We really trusted the partner. They delivered on time, accurately, high quality. And then we had some other vendors that we didn't have that same level of trust. And when we didn't have that same level of trust, we'd have to put in place redundancy and systems and processes to compensate for the lack of trust. I remember being brand new on the job and wondering, you know, what, why are we working with these, some of these suppliers that we didn't have as much trust for? And, and my staff said, well, it's because we need to have, you know, an alternate source of supply. And I, I said, okay, but, but who's paying for all this redundancy? And they said, well, well we are. I said, well, why, why should we be paying for it? So, you know, we don't fully trust the product that they deliver. So we put in place inspection and processes to check and verify all of which is costing us money and taking us time, and we have to pay for it. And then we have another supplier that does the same thing that we completely have trust and confidence in, and we have no redundancy, no systems to verify and inspect at the same level. I said, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like we shouldn't be paying for this. And I, and I began to see that, you know what, there's a cost to low trust. It's not just a social virtue, which it is, sure. but it's also an economic issue. It affects the speed at which things can get done, it affects the cost at which they can be done at. And I began to suddenly see it everywhere, not just with vendors, but also clearly with customers. When you, when you have customers that trust you, they buy more and they refer more and do more business with you, they give you the benefit of the doubt. Those mm-hmm. that don't, they'll ultimately leave you and, and go someplace else. Then I saw it in, in the relationships we had in the organization and with the trust within our own team and how trust affected speed and cost, and that when the trust went down in any relationship or on a team or in a company, when the trust went down, the speed went down. Everything took longer, and the cost went up. Everything cost more, and that that was a tax. Mm-hmm. But the good news was, it was the opposite was true as well. When the trust went up in a relationship, be it a personal one or a professional one, or on a team or in a company or with a customer or, or in a community, when the trust mm-hmm. goes up, 
the speed goes up with it. Everything happens much, much faster while the cost comes down. It costs us less. And that is a dividend, a high-trust dividend. And it's really that simple, that real, and that mm. predictable. So that was kind of the breakthrough insight for me. And then once I, once I saw it um, for the first time, I began to recognize it everywhere else in, in all of business, but also in all of life, including in personal relationships. Oh, that's right. Yeah, in fact, when, when you identify a principle, it holds regardless of the context. It's, yep. it, it's like it crosses, a natural law, isn't it? It's like a natural law. It crosses cultures. It crosses time. And, 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 um, and you know, it's really timeless. And it's universal. And it, and it works in different dimensions and aspects of life. And that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's how you know you've got a principle. And you have seen that there is a a very real and economic impact of trust out there in the business world, certainly in our relationships and other aspects of life. But this is a measurable economic impact. Precisely. And, and th- that's kind of new thinking for most people because mm-hmm. everyone knows trust is a good thing and a positive thing, but very few have really made the hard edge economic connection, that this is affecting financials. This is affecting the speed at which things are done and the cost. And suddenly, when, when, when we can frame it in those terms and actually uh, measure this and show the effects of it, then we've taken this soft topic of trust and made it hard-edged and, mm-hmm. and um, made this quantifiable. And, and that's, that's very exciting because we can recognize there's a source of value here, that we can, if we can increase trust in our relationships will improve the economics. And the data on this is, is just overwhelming. Just uh, at, amongst the abundance of data, um, a Watson Wyatt study shows that high-trust organizations outperform low-trust organizations by 286%. Oh, wow. nearly, nearly three times in the total return to shareholders. So I call it the trust multiplier, the performance multiplier. That when there's high trust, mm-hmm. everything that you do is made better. It's like a rising tide that lifts all boats. Mm-hmm. But if there's low trust, everything that you do is questioned, discounted, diluted, what I call taxed. And, and mm-hmm. so it, and it affects literally everything. So this is the, the one thing that affects and ultimately changes everything else. And so if we can get good at this, it will have a positive effect in every other aspect and dimension of our life or of our business. I think this is really going to ring true with a lot of people and you listeners as you as you hear Stephen talk about this trust issue and just look at your own life and look at the way you make your decisions and look at the way you feel about the companies or organizations that you do business with. And I think we'll all acknowledge fairly quickly that, yeah, trust is a big part of how I view those things and how I make my decisions. And uh, what you're saying, Stephen, is you've been able to quantify this, you've been able to observe it consistently out there in the, in the workforce. We, we have. It's measurable, it's quantifiable, and the great thing is it's also movable. It's something we can get better at and improve. We can change it. Mm-hmm. I'll also highlight this, Dr. Paul. In addition to affecting speed and cost on the quantitative side, trust clearly has multiple effects on the qualitative side. And trust... Mm-hmm also always affects energy and joy qualitatively, see? So when the trust goes down in a relationship mm-hmm. or in a family or in a community or in a, in a team, 
the trust goes down, the energy and the engagement goes down. It's draining. It's exhausting. That goes down, too, as does the joy and the satisfaction. But again, mm-hmm. thankfully, the converse is true as well. When the trust goes up in that relationship, in the family, in the team, when the trust goes up, the energy goes up. Everything becomes far more energizing, and people are engaged and connected, as does the joy and the satisfaction. It's more pleasant. It's more fun. It's, it's joyful. And so trust has both a quantitative effect in terms of speed and cost, but also a qualitative effect in terms of energy and joy. And just the way people are feeling about their interactions or their work or whatever it is that they're involved with. And that's a great point uh, as we're wrapping up this first segment. There are upsides and downsides to everything. And as we become more aware of the principles, we can become more attuned to, okay, what can I do about this? And I think as we get into our next segment, we're going to identify some of those specific pieces as we move forward. Stick with us. We'll be right back. When you cry, be sure dry your eyes. Cause better days are sure to come. Thank you for joining me for the Live On Purpose radio podcast. It is truly an honor to be a part of your prosperity team. Please visit my website, drpaul.org to get connected with other tools for you and your family. There you will find links to my weekly e-zine, Empower, Harnessing the Power of the Mind, and to the free Parental Power Teleconference that I host every week with my wife, Vicki. You can also check out upcoming events or pick up powerful information products. Feel free to contact me directly with questions, comments, or to book me for your company or private event. Email me through Dr. Paul at liveonpurposeradio.com. If the pile of books you want to read is growing faster than the pile you have read, then Abundant Reading Systems can help you. After taking Abundant Reading Systems course, I dramatically increased my ability to expand my knowledge in a much more efficient way. My fastest test today was in 7,000 words per minute. I highly recommend this program from what I've seen it do for other people who've been through the entire program and from what I've seen in myself today. I've teamed up with Abundant Reading Systems to offer a single-day intensive speed reading workshop that will at least double your reading speed, guaranteed. This belief started to grow inside of me that I thought, oh, I can really do this. I can read you know, as fast as I let myself read and uh, ended up doubling my time, my speed reading time, which was really good. This is David Hinton, founder of Abundant Reading Systems. I want to personally invite you to join us for our next event. Visit AbundantReadingSystems.com now. Abundant Reading Systems, reading at the speed of imagination. And when you dream, dream big, as big as the ocean. Because when you dream, it might come true. So, Stephen, I was thinking during our commercial break there that uh, my first introduction to you was through a book that I read that your father wrote where he was talking about training his son to keep the lawn clean and green. 
<laughs> green and clean may have been the right order. Right. And that was you. Green and clean, that's me. That's yeah, in me. fact, uh, uh, maybe maybe uh, I can give you my side of the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you shared it in the book. I would love to have you just share that with our listeners. Oh, okay, great. Well, actually, my side, I like to joke that, that I was framed. <laughs> you were framed, huh? Yeah, but what it, it really was, uh, my side is really the same. It just, from, from my perspective, is a little bit different. My, son, my dad was trying to teach me how to take care of the yard, and he had just basically two standards. He wanted the yard green, and he wanted it clean. And those were, res, you know, results-oriented standards. Mm-hmm. And how I went about doing it was up to me, even though there was better ways to do it than others. You know, the best way to get it green was to water the lawn and to turn on the sprinklers. But he said, if you wanted to, you could just use hoses or, or use buckets, you know. But, I would, but here's what I would do if I were you. But all I care about is that it's green. Mm-hmm. He said the same thing about, about it being clean. Well, um, he gave me the job. And I was only seven years old. So mm-hmm. I'm just a young boy. And he's training me how to do this. And he turned it over to me. And then for uh, several days, like five or six days, I did nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> and he came home every day from work and... You'd see the, the yard getting more and more yellow because it was in the middle of the summer. And we had a big neighborhood party, and it was, there was garbage all over. And mm. he, just, he said that he just wanted to take the job right back and go out and do it. And, yeah. you know, he sees me, a seven-year-old, just across the park playing and with my friends and having fun. But he didn't do that. Instead, uh, he, we, we walked around the yard together, as we agreed to once a week. And he said, let's just walk around and see how things are going. And as we did that, I... I began to break down and cry, and, and, I, and I said, well, Dad, this is just so hard. <laughs> I uh-huh. thought that it was not green and clean, and, and he said, you know, what's so hard, son? You haven't done anything yet. <laughs> but, but what was hard for me was really learning to take responsibility. And he said, hey, I'm your mm-hmm. helper if you want help. And I said, will you help me? I said, you got it. I, if I'm here, I'll help anytime I'm here. So I went in, and I got these garbage sacks, and I gave one to him and one to me, and, and, then, I, and I started to direct him. Would you go pick up that and that? And he did it. And then at that moment, I realized, you know what, this is my job. It's not his, it's mine. And mm-hmm. that's when the, the, the agreement was written into my heart, and I took it on. And from that, that day forward, I became green and clean as a seven-year-old boy taking care of a pretty big yard. And uh, I like to tell the story. My father uses it to talk about a win-win agreement. I use it to say my father extended trust to me. Mm-hmm. He was willing to trust me, maybe even a little bit almost in some ways, uh, uh, pushing me, directing me, or helping. I had to reach for this. But, mm-hmm. but I was inspired by the trust. And, and when I realized that he trusted me and was counting on me, I didn't want to let him down. And I rose to the occasion. It brought out the best in me and inspired me. And, and it made me more capable um, because of how I responded to this. And, and I see it as a great, just a little personal illustration of how most people respond really well to trust. It brings out the best in them and inspires them. A few people might abuse it, but mm-hmm. the vast majority of people respond to it, and, they, and, they, and it, it, it inspires them. And, and that's how it is in our relationships today, and that's certainly how it was for me as just a, a seven-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. Now, it was a powerful learning experience for you as you knew that, that your father trusted you, that he was counting on you, to fulfill your part of the agreement. That's right. And see, I was too young to be motivated by money or status or anything, but I did not want to let my dad down. 
Mm, and that's, that's right. what motivated me. And, you know, more than money. I was seven years old, but I didn't want to let him down. So I, I responded to the trust that was given. Mm-hmm. And it really was a important moment in my life. And, and I've had a similar thing type, take place elsewhere where later in my life, at different times, someone trusted in me, believed in me, had confidence in me, expressed that to me. At a time maybe mm-hmm. where they had, they had more in me than I even had in myself. But I responded to that belief and that confidence, and I wanted to, to prove it justified, and, and I wanted to repay it. And so I, again, mm-hmm. rose to the occasion and, and uh, tried to repay it. And that's why I'm convinced that trust and being trusted is an extraordinary form of, of human motivation, because we want to we prove the, the trust well-placed and, and repay it. And, and um, so when we have it operating in our lives and our relationships, tremendous lubricant but it's also a tremendous motivator mm-hmm. that's for sure well Stephen, i think we ought to get into some of the nuts and bolts right um, and you did a really great job of this in your book i was just commenting to ken and and vicky before the show that one of the ways that i can see a really a real use for the book that you wrote here uh-huh. is uh, the 13 behaviors, for example. Take one of those 13 behaviors, work on it for a week. And then the next week, take the next one, work on that for a week. I can see some really practical applications to the nuts and bolts of creating and and extending trust. And uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, though, a little bit. I I noticed that one of the first things that you gave is kind of a practical chunk for the reader is the four cores. Could you talk about those four cores for just a minute, introduce them to our listeners? Yes. What they are is, first of all, let me say this, Dr. Paul, I appreciate your your comment about the book. I tried to do this in a way that was very practical mm-hmm. and accessible. And right. so, you know, here there are, there's 27 chapters in the book, and the first two kind of lay out the foundation. The last mm-hmm. 25 are really how-to how do we do this? Yeah. How do we increase this and improve this? I tried to make this as practical as possible. But the idea of the, the four cores, is, is that these are four cores or dimensions of credibility. And I'm making the case that the foundation of trust is credibility. Mm-hmm. And that's where you begin. So if you want to increase trust in relationships or in the family or in a, on a team or, or with a partner in a community, um, Whatever it might be in a you know in a business relationship, you want to increase trust. You always start with the credibility, the foundation, because you'll never in the long run be able to sustain more trust than you have credibility. You might for a short period, but you can't sustain it. Mm-hmm. So credibility is the foundation on which all trust is built and sustained. So these four cores or dimensions of credibility help you know how to build it, or if there's a deficiency where you might focus on in that particular area. And um, two of these cores go out of your character, and two of these go out of your competence. And it's really a combination mm-hmm. of both that character and competence that make a person credible and therefore trusted. So the, the first two that flow out of your character are your integrity. That's the first core of credibility, your integrity. Mm-hmm. And the second is your intent. Let me just comment briefly on both. Your, your integrity is referring to your honesty and truthfulness, and, and it's being congruent, that you do what you say that you value. So you walk the talk. You don't say mm-hmm. one thing and then do another. 
And you don't say you value mm-hmm. something, now it's going to do something completely different. And instead, it's you're aligned, you're congruent. And the real test of integrity is when there's a cost or a consequence. Mm-hmm. It's, it's much easier to have integrity when there's no consequence. Oh, sure. The, the test is when there is a cost or a consequence. You know, do you do what you say you're going to do? And, and um, um, then we move to intent. And intent is referring to your motive and to your agenda. Mm. And the intent that best builds trust is when you care about the people that you're working with or that you're building a relationship with. You care about them, and they, and they know that. The agenda that best works to build trust is that you're seeking mutual benefit, mm-hmm. win-win. Yes, I want to win, but I want your win, too. In fact, I want your win as much as I want my own. It's just when as people, important. Right. It's just as important. And when people feel that from you, and they feel like, you know, cares about me, she cares about me. You know, they, she's not just self-serving, she's after my win. Or he's not just looking out for himself, he's looking out for me, too. Mm-hmm. When they sense that, believe that, experience that, that really builds the trust, because it makes you more credible with them. But if they don't sense that, if they see you as, you know, he's just out, after, out for himself. Mm-hmm. The only thing about himself, he's acting in his own best interest, but never mind. Boy, you withhold the trust. And, and um, so your motive matters, and I call that intent. So integrity and intent are the first two cores. You know, I got a kick out of that story that you told about your parents <laughs> in the car. Yeah. And uh, it just, it, it illustrates so well how much intent makes a difference. And a lot of times it's just the perceived intent. So it can be the perceived intent. Let me just briefly tell it. My, yeah. my, my parents were traveling um, from Montana, driving through Idaho. Um, and and uh, my dad uh, um, was going to uh, take over. My mother had been driving, and my dad was not going to drive. So um, my my dad got out, or they stopped the car, and my dad got into the driver's seat, and my mother was getting into the back, and she wanted my dad to lower the chassis so she could get in more easy with a bad knee. Mm-hmm. Well, so she closed the door, and, but she had said, you know, lower this. She closed the door so we could lower it. You had to have the door closed. Well, my dad just drove off. He, he, <laughs> thought, he thought she had gotten in and was in the back. Right. And she just closed the door for him to lower it. And then he just drove off and started driving and, and, uh, um, and went on quite a ways and just assumed that she had quickly just fallen asleep because there was blankets and pillows right back there where she got in. Mm-hmm. And um, and he wanted to make, his motive was, I want to make great time while she's asleep. And so he didn't even say, think anything. Mm-hmm. But imagine this, some passerby sees this happen. And for his observation is, some man just left his wife on the road. Just abandoned <laughs> in her. A fight. Right. And, and, you know, because he sees this woman get out and, and, uh, and this man just, Take off, and, it, and my mother went chasing after my dad when this happened. Right. And so she's left on the road. He calls the highway patrol, and the highway patrol, and he reports, you know, some man just abandoned his wife on the road. So they come and pick up my mother, and, and my mother says, oh, no, no, there's, there was uh, no fight. He thinks I'm in the car, uh-huh. and uh, he has no idea. I know him, and, and he has no idea. He thinks I'm in the car. So there was, the police were a little bit skeptical because, you know, they've seen – They've seen this before, happen. sure. <laughs> so they call him up. He's got his cell phone on him, and, and, and they say, where's your wife? And, and uh, he says, well, she's right in the back. 
um, right in the back seat. She's asleep. So, well, you know, who is this? This is the, this is the police. She says, well, what are you talking about? She goes, well, your wife, um, you know, she's, she's here. She's back. actually with me. Looks, yeah. yeah, so he looks back and, and he says, hey, my wife's gone. She's missing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, anyway, they go back and, and, uh, they, well, and they have a real laugh over this. We're just going to a commercial, this. Stephen. Let's pick, pick that up on the flip side yeah. here. This is Shay Larson, IdeaOrbit.com, with the World of Ideas Report. Today we head off to Los Angeles, California, where a man had an idea. Tian Ho Lee was sitting in a symphony concert when the idea struck. He noticed the musicians were struggling to turn the pages of their music books while playing their instruments. He thought it would be nice if they had a foot-operated button that would trigger a page-turner. But then his idea sprouted. He thought of the many people who suffer from carpal tunnel syndrome from overuse of a computer mouse, and the foot mouse was born. He invented a foot mouse that allows a computer user to easily navigate their computer with their foot instead of their hand. Tian Ho turned his idea into a real product which is now selling worldwide. The mouse has solved a great problem. A few years ago, the term carpal tunnel syndrome was hardly known. Today, it is one of the world's most prevalent medical conditions. According to National Center for Health Statistics, every year more than 850,000 new problem visits are made to physicians because of carpal tunnel syndrome. The number one prescribed remedy for this uprising condition is to get your hands off of the computer mouse more often. I recently spoke with Tian Ho Lee, and he said that getting an idea is nothing compared to seeing it help people's lives. The foot mouse is truly a great idea. This is Shay Larson, IdeaOrbit.com, with the World of Ideas Report. I've got a great idea. Nothing so conclusively proves a man's ability to lead others as what he does from day to day to lead himself. Thomas Watson, IBM founder. Well, Stephen, just before the break, you were... Uh, telling us this rather humorous story about your parents. The, and, and I cut you off. I'm afraid you're not able to hear our bumper music there on the phone. Um, but uh, you were saying that the, the highway patrol was actually with your mother. They called your dad in his car. He still thought she was in the back. <laughs> he did. He thought she was in the back. And he said, hey, my wife's gone. Mm-hmm. And she goes, no, he's right here with us. You know, ha- you know how's that? And anyway, the... Uh, so he finally realized what had happened, and and he drove back and, and picked her up, and they all had a really good laugh out of it. And the and the highway patrol guy said, uh, "Well, just wait till I tell the guys at the office. This is a classic." Oh yeah. And and, uh, and they had a laugh. But if you think about it, 
it's a great illustration of intent and how it could be misinterpreted. See, when, mm-hmm. when, when my father drove off, my, my mother at first probably thought he was playing a joke on her for a moment, but mm-hmm. he's a joker sometimes. But then, but then she realized, uh-oh, you know, he doesn't realize I'm, the, I'm in the back, and he thinks I'm in the back, and he's just trying to let me sleep. Cause, now, mm-hmm. why does she assume that? Because she knows his character. She, she knows who he is, and, and through years and years of marriage, and, and so her intent came out of her experience. You know, her interpretation came out of her experience. But the highway patrolman and the observer that saw this, they don't know. They just observe. They just see this, and they assume, you know, the worst case. And the highway patrolman's probably seen abuse and the like in, in uh, his line of work. And so, you know, they assume that worst case. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, the whole thing comes back to, to get... Um, resolved that, that the whole thing was, uh, uh, you know, a funny mishap. And, and, uh, but it just shows you how your intent uh, matters a great deal. And, and uh, we tend to judge ourselves by our intent, but we tend to judge others by their behavior. Mm-hmm. And we also tend to judge others' intent based on our own paradigms and experience. Yeah. And see, sometimes people often distrust us because of the conclusions that they draw about what about what we do. And, you know, that's, that's an, an intent issue. So mm-hmm. the point is that your intent matters a great deal in building this credibility. And, you know, it's interesting what you're saying about how we interpret others' intent just based on our own paradigm. That's really all we have. It, it's really all we have. And, and so we project our world. Mm-hmm. Like the expression that, you know, we don't see the world as it is but rather as we are. It's our head mm. that creates our world. And, and so sometimes we have to be aware of that. And, and, um, and when, when we're on the other side, you know, it's important for us to learn to actively influence the conclusions others draw. And one way we can do that is to declare our intent, to let people know what we're doing and why. Mm-hmm. Now that, you know, here's what I'm doing here. Here's why I'm doing this. I declare it so that I make it, let it be known, as opposed to just letting people just assume or draw their own conclusions that may be based entirely on their experience and miss mm-hmm. the whole point of what we're trying to do. That's right. And even in declaring it, we have to be careful about the words we choose and the way we present it. Um, what we say doesn't always match what we're thinking, but I think as we, we achieve that first core that you talked about, integrity, you right. know, as you get a little closer and a little closer to matching your own intent with your, own, with your behaviors, uh, this is a constant, lifelong process. I, I, I agree with you, Dr. Paul. It's, it's not like we arrive on these, either of these, mm-hmm. integrity or intent. It's that we're always striving, improving, mm-hmm. and, and uh, trying right. to improve that. But it's so foundational to trust. Mm-hmm. And I'll just briefly mention the other two cores. The third, yes. these flow out of your competence. The third is, is your capabilities. It's like your, your talent, your skills, your expertise, and your knowledge. See, what, what earns people's credit, trust is that when you're credible because you're capable, you, you have the right expertise, you and your work are credible because of your expertise, your experience, your background, your schooling, and, and the practice that you have in working with, with people and organizations and helping them succeed in business and in life. And, and that gives you credibility, that kind of capability. Um, you, you go to a doctor to do surgery because they're capable they're, and they have those right skills. You wouldn't go to a, your family doctor to have brain surgery because they're not really trained as a brain surgeon. You'd go to a specialist mm-hmm. to do that. 
Do they have the right capabilities? So your capabilities matter. Staying current, staying relevant as yeah, a person, as a leader. And then the fourth core of credibility is your results. And results is referring to your track record, your performance, your past performance, and your current performance. Because people tend to project upon you future performance based upon what they've seen. So your, your track record of performance matters, and it goes in front of you. And when you've got a strong track record, that helps make you more credible, believable with people. If your track record is spotty or weak, then that diminishes your credibility, and you need to maybe uh, strengthen it. And, and so you can see how that matters. And, and, uh, and those are also important dimensions to trust, the, the capabilities and the, and the results. Mm-hmm. So those are the four pieces, integrity, intent, capabilities, and results. And when you improve in those areas, you'll, you'll gain more credibility. And with more credibility, you will build trust much, much faster. And it's a great diagnostic framework to see kind of where I'm at. If you're part of a team or an organization, a company, it's a great diagnostic framework for that. You know, how credible are we in the marketplace? How credible are we um, with, our com- with our customers? And you look in those four areas. Integrity, you know, are we congruent, honest, real? What's our intent? Are we seeking to help other people succeed? Are we seeking, seeking to help our clients succeed? What are our capabilities? Are we innovative? Are we, are we current and relevant? And what's our track record of results? You can see how it so easily applies to a company. It also applies to a person in, a, in relationships. You know, how mm-hmm. credible am I? And that means, credible means believable. It comes from the Latin term credere, credibility does. Mm-hmm. It means believability. How believable am I? And those are just mm. four areas in which you can increase that believability so that we can get better at this. And that's the whole idea is we're trying to help people increase trust in all their relationships in order to get better results in, in their lives. You know, along the lines of those results, I, I run into a lot of people who say, well, look, here's the evidence that I've failed. Mm-hmm. And you talked to me, we haven't really gotten into a discussion about the five waves, uh, which starts with self-trust. It's really at the center of that ripple effect, how much you trust yourself. And I've seen so many people who have taken a hit, especially recently, as they say, well, look, you know, I failed at this and I failed at that. As we are measuring our results, yes, the track record is really important, but sometimes you have to kind of redefine what what represents your results. And you gave a good example of this in your book. In fact, I've got an example right here in front of me. Uh, here's an example of redefining it. Yes, my business is going through a rough time, but what am I discovering? What strengths am I gaining? What increased capacity will I have to apply to future efforts? You know, here I am going through a hard time, but how is this creating a result within me that is going to contribute to a more positive track record from here on out? Exactly. And I think that that's a great point to bring up, Dr. Paul, that that we have to use what we might call a balanced scorecard Mm -hmm. on these results. And it's not just the outcome. It's also the learning and the process. And, you know, because some people could point to good outcomes and then they've abused people along the way um, in terms of not necessarily physically abused, but, but they've, mm-hmm. they've uh, lost the relationships and they've, they've uh, really violated the integrity and the like. And so, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, how you accomplish it matters as much as the fact that you 
do accomplish it. And sometimes we fall short. We all fall short. And we all could point to, to failures and failings. And, but that's all part of how we improve and get better and learn and grow. And, and, and mm-hmm. you're exactly right that it's a balanced approach that, that helps us because the, how trust is built is always from the inside out. And you do start with yourself. That first wave of trust is self-trust. Mm-hmm. And that means really trying to answer the question, do I trust myself? Do I trust myself? And mm-hmm. here'd be my advice to, to someone that's maybe struggling a little bit, not quite sure if they trust themselves, is always um, a great way to increase trust with yourself is the same way you do it with other people, but you apply it to yourself, and that is to learn to make and keep commitments to yourself. To yourself, right. To yourself. That's the fastest way to build trust with another person is to make another person a commitment and then keep it. Make another, keep it, make it, Mm -hmm. keep it, repeat that process. You build trust fast. It's also the best way to do it with yourself is to learn to make yourself commitments and to keep them and to treat yourself with the same respect and dignity that you would somebody else. As you do that, as you make a promise to yourself and keep it, make another and keep it, you'll be amazed at what that does to your sense of integrity, to your sense of clarity, to your sense of power, and your own self-trust will increase substantially. And that is the basis on which you can build trust with other people. You always start with yourself, your own self-trust. And sometimes we have to recreate it with ourselves, restore it with ourselves, but we can do it. And the key process of that is learning to make and keep commitments to ourselves. To ourselves. And that's such an important part of this whole structure of trust. As we, as we learn to trust ourselves, then we can start to exude things that are going to help others to feel that level of trust too. We've got one more segment coming up. We're going to highlight a few of the very practical things that you can do with trust as we come back. Raising kids is one of the most challenging and rewarding experiences we can have in life. Your children didn't come with an owner's manual, so it's up to you to learn whatever will assist you in your role as a mom or a dad. Join me and my husband, Dr. Paul, for a free weekly discussion about all of the hot topics in parenting. Listen to what others are saying about these calls. By applying the things I've learned to the parental power calls, I'm finally becoming the mom I always thought I would be. I really like to use parental power as kind of like a reference book. So as I have concerns with my parenting, I like to be able to look up on the blog and then listen to whatever podcast seems closely related. I like the variety of of topics, the variety of age groups that are addressed. I'm on the parental power calls as often as I possibly can because I know I'm going to come away with something I can apply to being a parent that very day. Let us join your parenting team through parental power. Just send an email to drpaul at liveonpurposeradio.com to register for the live calls. Or just check us out first through the link at drpaul.org. All of the previous calls are posted on our blog site, where you can also add your own input. Let's team up to start parenting on purpose. This is Kirk Weasler to tell you about morebetterbooks.com. Morebetterbooks.com is where you can find more better books for a more better life. Not only that, let me tell you about some of the very fun and cool select titles on morebetterbooks.com. You'll want to get a copy of The Dog Poop Initiative. 
This best-smelling book could change your life forever. It certainly changed the lives of thousands of Boeing employees, as well as school teachers, parents, leaders across the United States and in Israel and in Germany. And you can get your own copy at morebetterbooks.com. Whoa, that's not all. What about The Cookie Thief? This classic tale told in a rhyming format, fully illustrated with very fun hidden messages. Pick up a copy now today on morebetterbooks.com. Other great titles there, Finding Your Pathway to Mastery, Beyond Illusions, Make It Great. These titles are only available on morebetterbooks.com. Go to morebetterbooks.com today and begin to have a more better life and live that life on purpose. So, Stephen, we're starting sorry to leave you out of some of the conversation that happens during the breaks. We've been having a good one here. And can oh, good. You, can you comment, and I'd, like, I'd love to have you share this with our listeners, too, and Vicki, some of the thoughts you had as well, um, related to what we were talking about in our last segment. Can you had a good example of making and keeping commitments to yourself? You want to share that? Yeah. Well, one of the books, or one of the stories uh, Stephen was telling in the book is he was trying to write this book and pushing a deadline and staying up really late to work on it and then trying to get up in the morning to exercise that he was falling short of his commitment to himself in exercising. So and correct me if I tell the story wrong, Stephen, but he'd make the commitment the night before. Okay, have I, will I be able to get enough rest that I can get up in the morning and exercise? If so, I will do it. And I thought, well, there's a great, there's something I struggle with, and there's a great step that I can work on myself and follow the same example to be mm-hmm. able to build the trust within myself and the self-esteem. And mm-hmm. I just thought, well, great, here's, a, here's an easy one for me to work on. Mm-hmm. And, and start demonstrating to yourself that you will keep your commitment. Exactly. But Vicki, nobody's perfect. No. Have you noticed that? Yes. We were talking a little bit about how where your focus is. You know, you can focus on, well, I've failed. But what else can you gain from it? Well, I've noticed in life is as you go through life, you experience failures. That's part of, of learning and growing. And you can, instead of focusing on the failure, if you focus on the lesson that was learned from the failure mm-hmm. and take that with you into the next challenge that you face in life. Right. You know, it's a process. Uh I think if we if we remember that it's a process and not an event, we're going to be a lot better exactly. off. Yep. And uh, it, it, I think in this last segment, Stephen, we have just a few minutes uh, to wrap some things up. And before we exit this this discussion, which has just been fascinating to me, uh, I wanted to comment briefly. We won't go through each of them, but you mentioned thirteen behaviors, and really a big chunk of this book. Uh, illustrates 13 different behaviors that you can begin to practice to increase trust. And one of the things I appreciate, and you might want to comment about this, um, is that it's it's kind of on a a curve, and there's a sweet spot. Can you explain to us what that's all about? Sure. Um, the, the whole premise is, see, this is not kind of all or nothing, Mm-mm. Where we're not just saying see, one one side of the curve is is that uh, you're doing um, too little of something. The other side mm-hmm. is you're doing too much 
And, and these behaviors, you can do too much of these behaviors to where your strength becomes a weakness because it's overdone. Let me give an example. One of the behaviors that builds trust is to talk straight. By mm. talk straight, I mean to be open and honest and, and candid um, so that you're not, so people know that they can take you for your word and not wonder what did he really mean or what was he trying to say there. But, you know, just be authentic about it. Mm-hmm. Talk real. Now, you can see that's a good thing, but if you push that to the extreme, do too much of it, suddenly um, it's, you, you might be offending people left and right. It's just you, irritating. It's, it's mm-hmm. right. You're, you're too honest, and you're, and you're, you know, you're going around and, and telling people um, you know, that they're a jerk or this and that, and, and, and there might be truth to that, but that's not appropriate. To, mm-hmm. you know, that's not being balanced by another one of the behaviors, which is to demonstrate respect. So any of these behaviors pushed to the extreme can become a weakness. And what we're looking for is that sweet spot where we're doing more of these things more consistently, more routinely, but not to where, not so much that, mm-hmm. that uh, it's turned into a weakness. So well, some of these behaviors, that, like creating transparency. Transpar- mm-hmm. Creating transparency is a behavior that builds trust. It means you're open and, and you can see through. It's transparent. So the opposite of that is when... You cover things up or you obscure them. The mm-hmm. counterfeit behavior is where you have a hidden agenda. If, if you have a hidden agenda, people tend not to trust. They usually sense it. They may not see it, but they sense it and they smell it, and they tend not to trust. So you want to become more transparent, more open, let people see. Now, where you push that to the extreme and it becomes a weakness is if you start to open things up that are proprietary or confidential, and you start to disclose things that were, you know, given to you in confidence mm-hmm. and, and that are proprietary. And, and um, then you might say, hey, I'm being transparent, right? That's good. Well, not, that's irresponsible transparency now. So mm-hmm. we're trying to get the right amount of these behaviors. Uh, righting a wrong creates trust. Um, you know, so you make it right when you're wrong. You apologize. The opposite of that, people deny the wrong. The counterfeit is they, they cover it up. So every behavior has the behavior that will build the trust, it has the opposite of the behavior that will destroy the trust, and then it has the counterfeit, which is kind of, it looks like, it's like counterfeit money. It looks like the real thing, but upon closer inspection, you realize that it's not. Mm-hmm. So one behavior that builds trust is to keep commitments. It's one of the 13, keep commitments. Mm-hmm. You do that, that will build trust. The opposite of that is you break commitments. You do that, you'll destroy trust. You do it twice, you may not have a third time. You may not have a second time. So you break, you know, the fastest way to lose trust is to, break, is to make someone a commitment and to break it. Mm-hmm. The counterfeit might be something like this. It's when you, you over-promise something and then you under-deliver. So you partly deliver mm-hmm. on it. So you can kind of say, hey, yeah, I did what I said, but it's not at all kind of what was promised. And the sense is, ah, I don't know if I can fully trust anymore. And so that's mm-hmm. what it is with every one of the 13 behaviors. There's the behavior. It's really common sense that if you do, it will build trust. There's the opposite, which also is kind of common sense. If you do that, you'll destroy it. And then there's the dangerous counterfeit that really is deceptive and looks like you, you, know, you'd, that you might be building trust when, in fact, your motive might be wrong and you might destroy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you one last example of the counterfeit. Talking straight is one of the behaviors that builds trust, as I said. The opposite of that mm-hmm. is you lie. Now, right. People that lie will lose trust. They might get away with it for a short period, but in the long run, they can't sustain it, and you'll lose the trust. 
the counterfeit behavior to talking straight is when people spin. It's when they mm. twist and manipulate and posture. It's when they technically tell the truth, but they leave the wrong impression. And as a result, mm. people aren't quite sure what they can trust and believe, and, and, uh, you can, and that will cause the trust to go down too. So I'm just making the point with these mm. behaviors is that, that, okay, you build on the foundation of credibility, those four cores, those four dimensions of credibility, integrity, intent, capabilities, results. Now it's all about our behavior, what we do and how we do it. Do we behave in ways that build trust or are we behaving in ways that destroy it or diminish it because they're violating these basic principles of behaviors that build trust? And, and um, it's, it's all kind of common sense, but it's not common practice. And, and that's the mm. challenge is that the common practice tends to be the counterfeit. It tends to be the spin instead of the straight talk. It tends to be the cover-up instead of righting a wrong. It tends to be blaming other people instead of taking responsibility, uh, mm -hmm. that type of thing. And, and, uh, and as a result, trust is low in much of our society and going lower, and we've got to be a model to show how to counteract it and how to behave in the ways that will build and grow the trust. Mm -hmm. Well, and I want to underscore something that I said earlier on in this interview, and that is... And there's a lot of very practical, very useful uh, kinds of information in your book. And I I just appreciate your making this available. I would encourage you listeners to not only get a hold of this book, and again, it's called The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey. And uh, take those 13 behaviors and you might just give yourself a little challenge, maybe make a little commitment to yourself that you're going to make some improvements in each of those areas. And remember, there's an opposite, there's a counterfeit, and there's a spectrum, and you can overdo it. You want to hit that sweet spot. And you you can do that best through practice. And what if you were to take one of these 13 and work on it for a week? Just mm -hmm. be aware of it. Get feedback about it. Be intentional. And then take another one the next week. You know, that's something that I would like to do. And, great. Uh, that's a great Absolutely. challenge. Absolutely. It's a great way to learn it and to approach it and to apply it and to see if it makes a difference. And then that mm -hmm. way you can focus. You don't get overwhelmed. 13 can be overwhelming. Working on one a week over a 13-week mm -hmm. period can be exciting, even okay. exhilarating yeah. as you see how this works. I'll make this one last comment because I know we're close to the end here mm -hmm. um, for our, our segment. But uh, I'd like to say this, that you, you, you can't talk yourself out of a problem that you behaved yourself into. The only way out of that problem mm -hmm. is to behave your way out of it. That's and, right. and so we've got to, you know, it comes back to our behavior. We've got to, we, want, we, we want to grow trust. We've got to behave in ways that build it. And if we've lost it or if others have lost it with us, they can't just talk their way out of it, nor can we. We have to behave our way out of it. But I maintain this, that we can behave our way out of it in most mm -hmm. cases. And we can restore trust. And how we're going to do it, we do it through our credibility and especially through our behavior. And that's exciting because most of us probably need to restore trust somewhere, somehow, or to have others restore trust with us. And it's exciting to know that it, it is something that we can restore, and we do it through our behavior. These 13 behaviors will give you a great jump start in doing that and knowing where to focus. Hmm. So I will put a link for this book on our, on our blog site at liveonpurposeradio.com. Stephen, what are other ways that people can get in contact with you or see more about what you're doing? Where would you send them? Yes, I would send them to speedoftrust.com. 
speedoftrust.com. Okay. That, that, and what you'll find there are, if you go into, there's like three different tracks. Go into the one that has book promises. And there you'll, you'll find a whole series of surveys. These are, these are all free, things that your listeners can get for free. Mm. There's surveys on how credible am I. You can get an assessment. There's even a who trusts you little survey where you can actually get a sense of how trusted you are, just a little snapshot. Um, and there's some other tools, including does this stuff work with teenagers <laughs> oh, <laughs> in, a, yeah. in a home setting, the audio thing on that. And there's a variety of different resources at speedoftrust.com. I think your listeners will find helpful. Mm, perfect. We'll put a link for that as well, speedoftrust.com. Stephen M. R. Covey, thank you so much for joining us today at Live On Purpose Radio. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Dr. Paul. I'm thrilled to be on your show, and I love the premise, Live On Purpose Radio. What a, what a great idea, and when one, great to have uh, Ken and Vicki, my friends, here as well. Oh, well, thank, thank you, you so much. Our pleasure. Thank and, you for taking the time out for this. Thank you. It's been good having somebody in studio while we've had Stephen on the phone. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. That's been just been perfect. So, everybody, I want you to uh, take to heart what we've talked about here today. Go out there and live on a purpose. And again, that means that you have a purpose and that you do it intentionally. Go out and live on purpose, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you all.